Uh, I'm going to say um, be the change that you want to see. Wait, didn't you say that earlier? That's how you do it. That's how you do comedy. You got to wrap it up all the way to the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. <laughs> you know, honestly, you have a team, probably maybe product owners, developers, writers, UX, those kind of things. You can create the culture and the model culture and the subculture, what you want to see in the greater culture to at least have a pleasure of, of, of people having a, a pleasant experience within your organization. And that regards trust and honesty and integrity and sympathy, empathy, all those things that we talked about, that can happen just within your team. And as a product manager, they need to be a leader there. <laughs> Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello everybody, Grant Hunter here for another Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. Now, this week we came out with a topic on corporate culture and product decisions. And boy, you know, right out of the gate, Steve, we had something like 10 or 15 responses to the question of the week. I mean, have we ever had that? I don't think so. This was a, a hot topic. Uh, people chimed in and took it in a whole lot of different directions. They, they did. I, you know, we've got a lot of other things going. We're engaging people. We're always hoping this is a sign. Ooh, we're engaging and we're taking off. We're going to go viral. But, you know, maybe it just was the topic. So the question we asked, let me get my question working. It's not working. There we go. The question we asked was, how does corporate culture affect product decisions? We're going to start talking about this. First, I want to thank, we got a great panel here today, largest one ever. John Cottrell, Anita Wood, Calvin Marshall, Paul Hurwitz, Jason, Steve, Dharma, and our new panelist, Seth McKnight. So if everybody could take it easy on Seth, let him get his, uh, you know, you know, sea legs and see how, how to do this. But, you know, don't hold back on me. So as we said, a lot of different perspectives. Glenn Pride started off saying the bigger question is who makes the decision and how much delay there is in simple action. I can correct a bad decision. I cannot correct a no decision. And so there's an interesting going right into the heart of the decision. And, and sometimes that culture is a no decision. Graham Rowe, culture is set at the top of the hierarchy. If decision-making is poor, if leadership is poor, it's pretty hard for teams reporting to these folks to do a better job than their managers. Uh, Jason Weber agreed and said the trust that leadership gives is the most impact on product decisions. I'm none of these people are here, so we're going to just go to the go to the the crowd here. Uh, I'm going to start with John Cottrell. Trust as part of corporate culture. Do you think that is one of the critical elements that's going to impact product decisions? Well, I, I think trust is valuable for any team, right? That, that you trust we have the right skills and that we trust they're making good decisions, but kind of the, the overarching issue of culture. And, you know, I struggled a little bit with your survey because the first one was too revenue focused or whatever that mm -hmm. language option was. But I, last time I checked, isn't that why we're showing up to make products, right? And I, I, I think it's more about how do we make decisions in the future to make now appropriate? And, 
I loved how everybody took it around decision making, right? Yeah. Do we make decisions? And I would also offer no decision is a decision, right? Yeah. It's basically the pocket veto. And I will tell you that uh, from a good leader or good culture perspective, um, I find that challenging, right? Because just give me the bad news. Tell me we don't want to do this, right? Uh, rather than me doing additional work to get facts and data and math, only to find out that it's not palatable to a personality or a preference an individual has. Um, no, that, that, that's a great point. And, I, you know, Glenn talked about correcting a bad decision, but it's also how do you, if you have, a, if, if you get to that no decision quickly, you can choose other things to do and focus on. It's that waste of time that can, can go in. Yeah, and then you had the one about slow decisions. Well, if you're always thinking about the future, if you're thinking about the future, you should incorporate that sort of decision cycle into your planning, right? So if, yeah. you, if you've been somewhere long enough, that that particular attribute is well known, then that should be part of how you plan, schedule, and work, rather than just throw up our arms and say, yeah, slow decisions impacting success. When really, large global companies, I don't know, uh, SAP, uh, Microsoft, multiple layers, multiple por portfolios, that's just the nature of aligning 150, 200 people to get the right execution cadence in place. I don't, uh, you know, I, I, I struggle a little bit. I mean, I believe the, you know, culture uh, eats strategy all day long, whatever that bumper sticker is that that's become amazingly popular in the last 18 months. Uh, but execution beats it all. Right. Oh, but if you don't have, you, you need, you need them all. You need a culture with, good decision rights built into it to allow pe people to make decisions at the lowest part possible in the organization. Well, and the more you can push decisions to the lowest part through metrics and business rules, the better the overall organization can perform. Yeah. It, empowered to perform uh, is a better way. Completely agree. I, I've mentioned it before. This CEO of Hire did a big book on their micro enterprises, which is where they're doing that really pushing stuff down. And I think that's a, you know, when people talk about agility, the agility truly is that. It's not the agile and the scrum process. It's the how do you enable decisions and good decisions at the lowest possible level uh, so you don't waste that time. Uh, great, great insight, John. Uh, Steve, trust. Well, you know, I'm still stuck on, a little bit on John's point, and that is the the presumption that John and I have that you want to push decision making as low in the organization as possible. And, you know, I think one of the cultural challenges is the decisions are being made uh, at leadership and then pushed down to the secretarial layer known as product management and development and everything else saying you guys go do, you know, clean up after us. You know, we've made all the big decisions. And I think it's more important that, you know, leadership inspire and yep, tell yep. us, you know, who are we and what do we what do we stand for so that people have some parameters on making their decisions. But I, I, I applaud John for saying, you know, a, a core belief is that decision making should be pushed down 
And yet, uh, again, so many organizations I visit, the decision-making is at the top. And maybe that's why there are so many no decisions. Yeah. But there's yeah. too many decisions to make. But I don't know that it's trust, right? Um, up front of the individual contributor. I, I think, so I'll use an example. Um, we had SLAs in our SaaS platform, uh, service level uh, agreements, and we had penalties. And if a client would call in and say, hey, I need to... Uh, execute this clause on a penalty to get a credit, right? Uh, and it was always a portion of their bill. Uh, we would, this is, you know, just a case, uh, use case, you know, that particular decision would previously, before we changed it, go up three levels to get a credit. Mm -hmm. And then we looked at, well, how much does it cost just to touch that, yeah. right? And so I went to the CFO, I'm like, Ken, we're spending $600 to process a $200 credit. Why don't we just by default give the credit and move on? Because even if we give away two extra credits out of three, we're still whole at the bottom line. Yeah. And so rapid, I mean, I had to use math, right? I had to understand the activities to get through the process. I don't believe companies, managers, or anyone don't trust people, or you shouldn't fight with them, but, right? They shouldn't be on your team if there's not some skill and trust. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it's, and, your, and, it's control and governance, I think, that you'll have to overcome, that sort of command and control, uh, and this is my swim lane stuff. Yeah, but I think it's any, any size company, if, if the leadership can empower the frontline people, whether it's a product manager or a manager or whatever, to make decisions like that, it sort of helps, A, it greases the skids and allows, you know, gets rid of some of the friction, but it also provides that good experience for the customer, uh, makes it easier for them and, and becomes a delight. Jason, you talked a lot about trust and trust being broken, uh, but product management having the responsibility to make solid data supported decisions. You know, where's your head on this right now? Yeah, I think it's maybe not trust at the individual level, like John, you're maybe talking about, but just um, trust outside of your department. So that's why we have though all that red tape and bureaucracy and all those processes because everybody feels like they have to touch everything for accountability on their department um, versus you know making sure that it happens at the right place. I mean, that was a really really good example um, that John provided, um, but you know to speak about trust, you have to speak about like what happens without trust, what happens when there's mistrust and what does a product management organization do in a, in a culture where mistrust is rampant and, you know, maybe you have a toxic uh, culture where people, executives tend to uh, maybe get competitive with each other or, you know, put people against each other, you know, that kind of thing. I've, I've lived in that for years and what ends up happening as a product manager is you don't, you don't make decisions that you try to please the, the person who can be most caustic to you. Instead of pleasing the market, you try to make sure that you're going to have less problems internally. Yeah. And, it becomes, and the whole company becomes an internal political landscape because of mistrust versus doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is making great products for the market. Um, and then that just becomes a circle you know, problem. Yeah. Uh, uh, makes a ton of sense. As we said earlier, we've got multiple sort of lenses into this culture and decision making. I'd like to sort of before we, Dharma has some great stuff on you know help anybody who quotes Carol Dweck and growth mindset. You know, 
has got a good place for me. We're I want to move to that in just a little bit, but I'd like to get the rest of the panelists in on this whole concept of trust and decision rights. Uh, Paul, yeah, now, Paul, yeah, you blew us away last week. You know, don't try to like, don't be swinging for home runs. Just be your normal self, man. So, thank you. Um, so, we, few people have been saying our decisions being made top down, bottom up um, in the organization, and like in my post where in the in the forum. It has to do if the company has a common set of goals that is clearly understood that comes from senior leadership and everybody's working towards that common set of goals, then I actually think that bottom up is better than top down because you get the creativity from the individual product managers, from the individual teams. But if they know that they're working towards that common set of goals that they can defend their decisions against, mm -hmm. then they should have that trust in the rest of the organization that they'll be backed up on that because they're following that set of goals. And there should be transparency in the decision-making process and how, how the, that alignment happens. I completely, completely agree. And we're gonna talk a little bit more alignment when we get to the poll. Seth, you've had about 10, 15 minutes to take this in. I'd love to get your take on trust and decision rates when it comes to culture and product decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So I think leadership lack of trust and lack of trust across organization can start to play into holding back product or other people from being able to make uh, higher level strategic decisions. But the thing first that I'll say that people forget is we have to make decisions day to day um, and we'll always be making those decisions and they'll affect the bottom line of what the outcome is, regardless of if we understand why the other decisions were made, if we were able to be involved in the higher level strategic decisions, that's just the process of work, right? I can't rely on going to the CEO for every single decision that must be made all day long. Um, Although I've so, worked at that company. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work out well though, so. No, it does not. I think one thing I've seen is uh, a problem with leaders giving lower level team members, the ability to build that trust by making potentially mistakes and then coming back and saying, hey, we made a mistake, but we're gonna change now. And here's how we're gonna make that change. Um, all of that though comes back to part of the poll, but really a lack of alignment, right? So we can make decisions up high, but if no one below executive leadership understands what those decisions mean, we're gonna make the wrong decisions. Yeah. No, great. Uh, wonderful first take on that. Anita and Calvin and Dharma, each of you have not had a, a say on the trust stuff before we move forward. Uh, I'd love to get any two cents you guys have. I'll start with Dharma. It, trust is a big factor, I have to agree. Um, the, the only probably adjustment I would give to this topic is it's not about the level in the organization, but um, the, the emerging theory is that when decisions can be made by people that are closest to the information needed to make that decision, those become more effective. And I, actually, I love that context because it is not the lower in the organization, it's the people who are better informed to make right. those decisions. So that's yeah, great. And, yep. 
Calvin. Yeah, I would, I, I, I would echo that. And I would, I would say that there, there's, there's this tendency and it seems, you know, in my opinion, it seems that like it's in, in larger organizations where everyone feels like they have to walk by the fire hydrant and leave a little scent. You know, <laughs> you know and it just- Get my dogs. Yeah, and, 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 and so, you know, in, in that kind of culture, you know, the, the product team is just playing to the masses as opposed to really being, being customer focused. And I don't know that I'd attribute that to trust or something else, but it definitely impacts culture. No, great, great take, Calvin. Anita. I thought Paul said something that kind of triggered like a self-reflection thing, you know, we as product managers, you know, trusting the people who are doing the work to, to do that, right? If you have the really clear goals at a high level, whether that's corporate level strategy, and then the product team, product managers make very clear what problems we're solving, right? Uh, we have to do the same thing as product people, right? Then trust them to do the how, right? We, if we're very clear on what the problem is that needs to be solved, then we shouldn't be telling the development team or the solutions team how to do it, right? Yeah. So I think I think it's, you know, sometimes we're thinking about things that are projected onto us, but what are we doing as product people to build that trust as well? So mm -hmm. that's that's my take on that. And and I think that uh, trust for someone, I think back to you know being a brand new product manager. Boy, did I want people to trust me, right? But I didn't have any credibility yet, and I didn't really know well, what decisions am I allowed to make? And how do we typically make decisions here in this organization? So I think in order to build that trust and the confidence in anyone across the organization, really, you know, because different departments, different functional areas do things differently as well, is to make it very clear in my um, comment in, I don't remember if it was the poll or the, <laughs> the question, I mentioned the two books and evolutionary organizations and what, what, it, what I really like, what I read about evolutionary organizations is that they, they do allow, it's a lot easier for the feet on the ground, the people on the ground to make those decisions, but they provide very, very clear guidance on how to make those decisions. Yeah. So that if you have someone new to the organization or a junior level person, they have that guidance, right? And they have the confidence and they, they're not afraid then to make that decision. And then it aligns across the whole team. No, that, that's a great take. And I completely and totally agree with that. It seems like we're, it's amazing how every week we have a topic, but it, the, the tentacles go into, we, this is, there's stakeholder management here. There's product management as a business leader stuff here. It seems like we every week we intertwine with conversations we've had. And I, in my mind, I get them all mixed up. I, and I mean, we had the soft skills, hard skills conversation last week with the emerging leaders. It's it, it's amazing how some of it still comes to back to this essence. And I think corporate culture is part of it. Dharma, you talked about painting it binary, borrowing from Carol Dweck and Marty Kagan. Do you want to sort of go into your thoughts on, for product management, fixed mindset versus growth mindset? Yeah, and that was in reference to culture. And the reason I was trying to, the reason I said what I said on the chat was um, because culture has many different connotations and, and, and meaning to many different people. Um, I, I wanted to use, simplify that into kind of a binary thing. And, and what I mean by that is in organizations that are, that are 
that express top-down culture. What I've seen is that there is a underlying thesis that I don't think our people can do better than leadership, right? Mm -hmm. So that has a inherently fixed mindset concept. So ergo, the decisions are pushed down and product teams then become pure delivery teams, yep. right? Um, and, and they may or may not have any say on the hard commitments that the executives are making on behalf of them, right? On the other hand, where you have that, you know, trust-based or some, you know, kind of a guardrail-based system that allows for empowered teams to flourish and push the decision-making closer to where the information is, um, I think that's when product team feel more empowered to make some uh, decisions that they can. And for those decisions that they cannot make unilaterally, they can find the right set of arguments to push up the ladder to get the other people involved. No, I, I think that's brilliant. And we, we talk about, uh, we always tell the patent story when we're talking about product management and product development, right? Don't tell them what to do, give them the context and, and let them figure it out. But it's almost like we're saying the same thing for senior leadership and product management. Don't tell us what decisions to make. Let us get access to the context and the data. Let's be market driven. Let's go talk to customers and understand this stuff and use that data to make the right decisions. And, you know, I just seemed like an interesting analogy. John Gattrell. Oh, go ahead, Paul. Sorry. You know, after I posted my comment in the forum, I realized I kind of went off the rails a little bit because I forgot about how does it affect product decisions. But, <laughs> but as we're talking, I'm actually thinking, thinking it's not so off the rails. If no, actually, I was going to come back to that. Oh, okay, because I, I was just going to say, if you're in a company where it's a good corporate culture and where there's this trust where and where there's this belief in helping people grow and yep. be better in their own professional development, it sort of it, – it just pervades the whole culture of the organization that everybody just trusts everybody to do things better. Yeah, I, I, I want to dig in on that work-life balance and what that means to culture and personal development in a second. John, I wanted to get your take on the growth mindset, right? How, how do we do that? How do we empower that mindset? Uh, you mean having your team members get better over time? Is that the question you're asking? Oh, no, empowering an, an organization to make those decisions closer to the data. Well, um, you know, I think Dharma is right, right? It's not title-based. It's it's access to the domain, access to the information. And so to, to get to a point where you can push decisions um, closer to the mark, rather than that is, you have to have uh, well-understood processes that generate consistent metrics that you can manage against. And Dharma said guard guardrails, is that what you said? I think you used that phrase. Yeah. I think it's a safety measure, right? Yeah. I mean, I think about it as bumper bowling, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, keep them out of the gutters, right? And you can't do that until you have firmly identified rules, understand the tasks that you're executing and can measure against you, and then know the impact of decisions. I've clearly uh, said, yeah, make that decision, only to find out that once the metrics came in, we got to change the process, right? So, yeah. You, you know, it's not just about pushing decisions for decision's sake. It's using information to make those decisions to whoever's closest to it. And, and I love what Dharma said on that. 
Awesome. John, thank you for that insight. Back to what Paul was saying. Paul actually talked about one part of culture, one of the lenses of culture was sort of that work-life balance and how they care about the personal development. And as he just said, it wasn't really product decision related, but having been somebody who has been in good and bad situations with a company caring about work-life balance in their, your personal development, I think that I tended to make better decisions when I was empowered as a person when, when, when I did that. You know, Paul, the story you shared, I've, I've been there. I was actually somebody who, somebody working for me left and I was like, I'm upset you didn't let me be a reference for you, <laughs> right? Talk to me, I, I'd like to sort of put this out to the, to the group. How much does that side of culture, work-life balance and, and the investment in your development impact product management? I'll take it, I'll back it slightly away from product decisions, but sort of the product management culture. Paul, I'll let you take the first shot because that's sort of, you brought it out there. So the work-life balance one is somewhat um, tangential to it, but that the whole professional development um, part of this, if you're in, an, I've worked in organizations like you where they're very invested in professional development of everybody in personal growth of everybody in the organization. And I've worked in big places where they couldn't care less and you're just cogs in a wheel when they're invested in in people's professional and personal development those people feel empowered they're like oh they actually really do care about what i say and what i do and they're really do care about me getting better at those things so you're going to be a little bit more likely to maybe go out on a limb sometimes to if you've like dharma said if you've got the data to back up your your proposals, your ideas, you might be more willing to go out on a limb and really push for an idea that you have evidence for. Whereas in a place where it's known that they just cut you off at the knees, no matter what, because that's just the way the culture is, you're gonna be less likely to try and push for your product and do what's best for your product. You're gonna do what's best for you. But if you feel that the company already has what's best for you in mind, then you're gonna work harder to do what's best for the product. I, I, I love that idea. Steve, I love, you've worked with more product management organizations probably than most anybody. Do you see a correlation between the way the company, the culture and how they treat their product management team and the skills that they're able to build? I mean, is there a confidence level that people are willing to take more risk because of, they feel like the company's investing in them? Uh, yeah, mostly. I mean, in, in most of the training sessions that I've done over the, gosh, 20 some odd years of doing this, uh, there have been, you know, so many people who are like, you know, I'm delighted to finally get this training. You know, um, I've been wanting to get training a long time and, you know, with, with two, three, four years before they bring it in, you know, and yet I've had a number of occasions where, there's a, there's a guy in the front row. He's always in the front row. Um, and so far, he's always been a guy who's just sitting there with his <laughs> arms crossed the entire time and then goes, you know, this was really cute and all, but none of this matters. I can't do any of this because my management won't let me. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, at least 30% of my training is civil disobedience. It's, you know, <laughs> here's how you do it in your dysfunctional organization, right? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a defeat, you know, it's like, I've been pummeled so many times 
that I give up. And, and, and I see the same thing with development as well. You know, when uh, we say, hey, use your judgment, and they do, and then you say, but not that judgment. You know, uh, you, that really sucks. You shouldn't do it like that. You should do it like that. And at some point they go, okay, fine. Tell me exactly what you want, and I will give you exactly what you asked for, and it will suck. Um, so I've been there too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, you know, I this conversation is going a little weird, right? Saying that somehow it's the business that's responsible for your personal career, right? Um, you know, companies offer access to training, right, Steve? Mm -hmm. They pay for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, as an individual have a responsibility to do something for that. I completely agree. Yes. And Paul said, you know, I got to worry about me versus my product or product. I forget how you said it. But let's be clear. What's good for your product is good for you if you're tagged to it, right? Yeah. And so, you know, and, and, and I'll take this contrarian. I, I've, yeah, I've been a COO twice. I'm doing it now uh, a little bit. And we offer trading reimbursement to everyone. We offer educational expense reimbursement for a master's and when less than 10 percent of the employees take advantage of that not my fault mm -hmm. right culturally I, we empower learning but as an so individual right, you've right. got to pursue that and take those fruits and put them into some sort of betterment for you right because but you get better the company gets better you might be offering that as a benefit to the employee that they can take advantage of it. But if I've worked in places where that's been something that's been made available, but sometimes you don't know about it. Sometimes you're, you're not pushed to take advantage of it. And sometimes you're actually discouraged from doing things like that because it takes you away from the team or, or whatever the case might be. I think it's not just making those resources available and a person has to be willing to put the work in themselves to, to for their mm -hmm. own professional development but the more but when your manager or your or your team is invested in you growing professionally and personally and pushing you to take advantage of those things and and trying to figure out okay what's your goals where where do well, you want to be in two years management and leadership um, true but, right. but it's all part of culture Mm -hmm. yeah. But every individual and I think carries their own skills into each team, their own worldviews and biases right. as a manager or a leader. And certainly there's people and, I'm and, working with at the director level that need some soft skills, need some support skills. And, you know, I've gotten them coaching, right? Uh, you know, that's not part of the a la carte menu of personal development. But when you see that gap, Leaders give people tools to, to do that. Managers say, yeah. refer I, to the handbook. John, I think it really comes down to, we, we've talked, we've used the, we use the word empathy all the time in product management. We've talked about in our soft skills conversation last week with the emerging leaders, but it comes down to empathy. If you're, if the leadership in the culture, if there's empathy for you and your situation and, and you feel like they're trying to help you put the employee first, invest in the employee, do those types of things, I think it impacts the jobs you can do, and it gives you, the, to Paul's point, gives you the, the ability to, to take a little more risk because you, I just, I just, I just think it's so easy to say them versus yeah, us no, but you have to take or us. me. That is a, a, a no, friendly pro. But we're talking about corporate culture here, so it's about them. But it should be about, us. about management. 
we, it's how we react to it, right? We're and so all we'll park this. We'll, we'll, we'll park this one right here. The last thing before we go to the poll was a conversation about autocracy and Pretty being an autocratic. And we're, you know, when we're going there, Anita, what's your take on the autocratic? Uh, corporate cultures and, and how that impacts product management? Well, I've been in those. <laughs> I think we all have. And I think um, uh, my background in higher education, there are similarities, right? Um, teaching and leading in that environment is similar to a corporate environment where the culture really impacts how people learn and what you get out of your education, right? And, and your products. Um, yep. If you're very autocratic, like in the teaching analogy, you're up there lecturing, just telling them what they should learn, right? Whereas if you have some of the more modern teaching and learning methodologies in mind, and now with everything being online, whether that's in the education environment or in our work environment, you need to adapt, right? So, you know, last year we learned a lot of the autocratic style, old style of managing and leading didn't work so well anymore, right? Um, yeah. That people had to let go of that. And I, I, I think that uh, last year, that was one of the good things that came out of last year, I believe, is that a lot of that autocratic approach to leading and culture really got really got crushed right and yeah. that's 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 good yeah. um and, and, I, and i think to that point it's like what john and paul were talking about leadership versus management mm -hmm. yeah so. and, I, and i think the impact on product is that um it's really demoralizing when you know you're told you own uh, the success of this product right it's your job to understand what we need to be working on the problems we need to solve and you present all the data, you tell the stories, and you have a solid case, right? And you have a solid team to deliver. And someone from the top, you know, you found that, see this in the founder's dilemma, <laughs> says, nope, I just don't like it. And I want this, what I saw in the, the magazine on the airplane on my way home, right? That looks cool. We got to do that, <laughs> right? And, mm -hmm. That's frustrating because you often can't do anything about that. And, you know, I am working with an organization right now that is very um, government contract driven. And that can feel really autocratic because yeah. it's the government telling you what you can and can't do. And I've worked on other products that are very regulatory driven. And it, it, it feels like that could really limit you. But if you have a really good corporate culture, and that's the organization I'm working with now, we really are able to get around that. There are still ways to be innovative and be able to make decisions. And you know, you follow the requirements, but you 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 add this value. Uh, so I think the culture still can get around some of the autocratic ways, right? <laughs> no, I, I I agree, Steve. Before we go to the poll, I'd love to see you know product decisions in corporate culture. We when you thought of this question. Is this where you thought it was going to go? Well, no, yeah, it, it is actually. You know, I'm uh, uh, the the original question came from this autocratic situation that Anita just described, and you know, I've 
I've worked in teams that are empowered, and uh, I'm I'm reading Marty Kagan's book called Empowered, which is you know tremendous, um, and it's just a weird experience to be in. Uh, an autocratic scenario where somebody says, you know, use your judgment, but oh, here's the words I want you to use, and here's, you know, please use this font, and, uh, you know, it's it's like, well, wait, why don't you just do it then? And they're like, oh, well, I don't know how to do it, I, but, you know, I do it this way. And I'm like, you know, it, it's just, it, it, it strikes me that it, it is cultural. Uh, and I think in this particular case, uh, it's a volunteer organization where this autocratic manager has been actually running people off. I mean, so many people come in and they say, you know what, I'm, I don't need this anymore. I have enough of this at work. I don't need to do it in my spare, in my spare time as well. Those are also the leaders who tend to yell at people. <laughs> yeah. And they're the leaders who that they wonder why they have high turnover in their staff. So, exactly. all right. Let's get to the poll. Our poll question was, what is the most common way corporate culture impacts product decisions? And okay, if I could reword it, John, I would probably change too revenue focused to maybe too short-term focused. I had that debate in the, in the, in the notes. I uh, saw it in the comments. But I was also, I think I was thinking on sales-driven culture versus, so that's what I meant by revenue, could have done that. You know what? A, most votes we've ever had. So thank you guys for that. B, Lack of alignment, clear leader. Uh, that being said, Dharma put out their short-term gains versus long-term value and got almost as, I think that would become our number two or tied for number two if we're voting for it. So Steve, you didn't vote, did you? If I did, I have forgotten what I answered. So <laughs> let's, let's assume I didn't. All right, what would you vote now? Well, I can't read what my options are. So. Oh, sorry. Too revenue focused, too long to make decisions, shiny object syndrome, lack of alignment or other where short-term versus long-term was the leading other. Well, I guess I will go with the majority in terms of lack of alignment. Um, I, I'm reminded of uh, Patrick Lencioni who said in the advantage the big advantage is when we all work for the same company. And it seems to me that every VP is running their own company. Yeah. And you say it many times, you ask five different VPs what you do and you get five different answers. Exactly. Uh, for the company. Seth, did you vote in this? I did. What did you vote for? Yeah. So I said lack of alignment. And just to add to that, I think all the other things are great symptoms to call out, but probably 90 plus percent of the time, we see those because there's lack of alignment. Um, so for instance, we're taking a long time to make decisions, right? Because we don't know what we're supposed to be doing or yeah. we're going after the next shiny thing in some area because that's what that leader uh, thinks that we need to be doing. But another leader somewhere else said, well, actually this is the target we should be going for. No, I, that's great. Uh, great take, Seth. Thank you. You're, you're earning your chops in your first panel. Uh, Calvin, where'd you vote? I, you know, I voted, I voted for other, but I'm kind of leaning toward war, to uh, what Seth said because <laughs> lack of, well, lack of alignment, um, 
causally, you know, may, may be a re result of, you know, the, the revenue focus, or I'm kind of looking at my other screen at the full itself because I can't see the, or it may be, you know, because of the shiny, the, the shiny object. So, you know, it may be that the lack of the lack of alignment is, is the root cause of some of these other issues. Um, but yeah, I said, I said, I said other because I mean, yeah, you, I you were one of the ones with, with Dharma on the short term versus long term. Yeah, because I mean, I thought especially in in publicly traded companies or in, in uh, companies that are that are uh, you know owned by by a capital management company, there's a, a real emphasis on on that short term revenue, you know, that's that's at the expense of a lot of the the strategic thinking, and it may be that there there's this impact on on alignment because at one on one side, you know, I mean, the product team is thinking. Long, let's, let's be optimistic. I think the product team is thinking long term, where you know finance or maybe the CEO is thinking, well, we've got to hit these numbers and we've got to hit these, you know, in in the next quarter. And they cut their market that lack of alignment. They cut and they cut your market discovery budget, so you can't be talking to customers, and it, it, it's a you know snowballing effect. Jason, you know, where did you vote? Well, if a company, for me as a product manager, if a company was, well, and I've been in a situation where I was leading up, I was heading a product management for a company with a clear exit strategy, somewhat clear exit strategy. And I would always talk to the CEO and say, listen, if you, if you tell me what your exit strategy is, I will product manage to that exit strategy. <laughs> right, because yeah. I'm not trying to make market, I'm not trying to make products that the market wants to buy. I'm trying to make products that my investors want to buy. So I can, so we can sell the, you know, the company and that's a very different. So I was always like, just tell me what you tell me what our corporate strategy is long-term or short-term. And I will adjust product management strategy around that for the exit. Um, you know, and so that was okay. But that goes back to me to alignment and alignment is also where I voted on this. I, Wonderful anecdote for that, and uh, glad to see John Cottrell. Did you vote on this? No. No, I didn't. I, uh, I'm just excited to be here today. <laughs> and do you do you have a thought on this? Is is alignment the root cause? I mean, it's it's the the easy one to grab, right? Because if you're not aligned with your developers, if you're not aligned with your stakeholders, if you're not aligned to management, I mean, I, I love what Jason said. Someone, I mean, Cal, what I heard you, private equity can be a bear to work for, but once you know how to work with private equity, it's pretty easy. Yeah. It's how can I turn my product into an ATM machine and generate 32% EBITDA? And, right? and well, I mean, I, I, get, I, I, I get that, but sometimes it, it's, it's not going to take It's going to take three, it's going to take three quarters from to get that that product, you know, from being off the page and into the market, and can private equity be be patient with that, knowing that you're not going to hit your numbers until three quarters? Depends yes. on where you are in the whole period. Yeah. It, it really does. does. It, and the question is really, what is the break even expectations for your investment? I mean, what's the ROI? Is it in your ROI? Typically, yeah. most organizations are looking for like post launch. 18 month sort of break even, right? I've even had some folks say three years, but no, knowing what the math is for payback 
is all we, I mean, that be constraint-based modeling. I, I, I'm a little bit of a supply chain guy. So if all you have is a hammer, everything's a model. And so constraint-based yeah. modeling is, is my hammer. What's the choke point? What is the, the most focused thing you have to deliver and back up? Let, let, let's be honest. I've done a lot of work with private equity and most of them are not interested in new product development. They're, 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 they're interested in maximizing the value from the existing product and life cycle and inorganic growth by acquisitions to build up markets and new products to, to sell to the same people. Understand that, but also know that private equity years one, say it's an average five years old, years one, two, and even three, they're willing to invest. It's a tapered investment more in year one than in year two, than year two, than year three. But then they need to switch it because what they need to show is for years three, four, five, that you're getting that growth. And so it is a private equity owned is a different culture mindset than a lot of other things. And it does impact product decisions. There's no question about that. Uh, Dharma, you talked about short-term versus long-term, but you also have had some recent private equity experience. Uh, you know, alignment with their goals, was, you know, was that part of your short-term versus long-term? Was it the private equity experience? Yeah, I mean, what, whatever the instigator is, like whether it's, uh, you know, a PE uh, thesis or like a startup thesis, whatever be the case, right? The, the way I was thinking about this question was whatever the root cause is, the way that impacts product decisions is that you're forced to think somewhere in the short term, right? Um, yeah, that's that's why I you know, wrote that. So yeah, I mean, in in certain situations, I've seen PE firms do exactly what you're saying, Grant. You know, just you know, kind of bring a lot of acquisitions um, and really make it difficult for making some meaningful, uh, you know, organic product investments. So, so it's almost like the art of the product, right? We want to do the right product, build the right thing, do it great versus the art of the business. They're trying to maximize their e operating right. income and grow yeah. so they can they were, do that. You know, EBITDA focus versus, you know, uh, yeah. customer lifetime value from a product standpoint. Yep. Paul Hurwitz. Now you had agreed with Dharma in the notes. Had you voted other and agreed with them or did you vote for something else? Um, I voted for lack of alignment. Um, okay. I think it all comes down to that, that in, in lack of alignment in a few different ways, Com I think it, there's alignment of common company goals of like, whether it's, this is what we're building with our product, or like Jason said, this is what our exit strategy is, whatever. If everybody's on the same page with that, then things go smoother. The other part of alignment that I would say is like, I think I, I mentioned it last week that that model that Dropbox uses when you're actually at mm -hmm. the real product level is getting everybody to align on what it is you're doing with the product. Getting everybody yeah. to agree, this is the problem we're solving and this is how we're gonna solve it. And if, if everybody in the product leadership part of the organization is aligned on that, then or isn't then that can affect if they're not then that can really affect product mm -hmm. decisions i mean that's sort of like the product culture versus the corporate culture but they they need to be aligned as well they can impact each other right. anita wood you said fear of change is important to be aware of as an obstacle uh what were you thinking about was it an other answer 
yes, I always have to pick other email just to be a non I know, honest. or it depends. <laughs> I didn't put it depends this time. Yeah. No, I do like the lack of alignment, but I did choose other because I think um, all of those answers are good. But anything that is maybe a little bit dysfunctional or not as good as it could be in the culture creates fear. Mm -hmm. And I think we as leaders and more experienced people tend to forget that. Um, junior people have a lot more fear than we do. Um, minority people in the organization have a lot more fear than we do. Uh, you know, I was a woman working in a very, very male dominated industry, and especially if you're a junior woman, that creates a lot more fear and decision making, right? Um, and I think, you know, we're humans. Yeah, I think we need to not forget that people have fears, they have things going on in their lives. You think about last year, people were fearing for their lives, right? So mm -hmm. that definitely comes into the workplace, people have fears over their financial challenges and struggles at home, whatever it is that is so obstructive in the workplace, in your job, right? And I, I think we forget that. We see a lot of people who are very self-confident or have to put on an air of self-confidence, but we have to remember that we're human beings, right? And fear prevents decision-making. It impacts which decisions you make um, and maybe how you present the results of decision, right? If you're afraid of failure, that's where you get a lot of people fudging reports and data, yeah. right? I can't make my department look bad. I can't make myself look bad. I can't make my boss look bad because I have fear, right? So I think fear in a culture significantly impacts decision-making. And I actually think that ties back to what we were talking about earlier with Paul with the work-life balance and the culture of people who yes, enable that, and that type of stuff. So I, I love I love how that ties together. Now, and, and let me jump on that just for a second, because I, I think that that does permeate a lot of my thinking. Uh, I hadn't thought of it in the context of fear, but in an autocratic organization where you're like, I have to make a decision and I have no one to rely on to make this decision. So I'm going to make this decision. Oh, my God, I've made this decision. How much trouble am I going to get into now? Yep. Um, and I worked in an organization where, you know, somebody would make a decision and it would be the wrong one. And next thing you know, there's a new policy and they'd send an email out to all employees, you know, from now on, whenever this happens, send it to your supervisor, you know, and you're like, dude, my supervisor isn't awake yet. I mean, I'm, I'm having to make this decision in real time and I'm on the East coast and he's on the West coast and what the hell, you know? So, uh, you can, it's hard to use your own, you know, it's hard to follow the instructions of use your own judgment, but knowing that we're going to uh, second guess you after you've used your own judgment. <laughs> well, and that's and the culture. Fair. Yeah, no, that, that, that's fair. Uh, gosh, our conversation on the poll and the Monday question has taken us almost the whole time frame. So we're going to go right to the lightning round maybe have to do a part two for some of the questions we had that we were going to bring to the panel. But the lightning round question is, what is your advice to a product manager who is dealing with corporate culture issues? And I'm going to start, I'm just going around my screen, you know, doing a zigzag. So we're going to start with Paul Hurwitz. Um. I'm going to take phone a friend on this one and, and ask you to come back to me. <laughs> Calvin's the friend. He's volunteering. You know, and my question, you know, the question I came up with, with, and this is 
what corporate what corporate culture issue which one okay you know because i mean the, the the advice is going to be different depending on the type of the type of corporate cultural issue that's that comes up i mean if, it, if it's if it's trust then it becomes one thing versus you know some of the other issues we've talked about that was a great phone a friend. Thank you very much, Calvin. I love that answer. <laughs> no problem, Paul. I got you. All right. Say it's trust, Calvin. What would you say? You know what? I, I'm, can, I, can I phone Paul back? <laughs> <laughs> Off the rails. Uh, it's all it's for you. It is. I have lost control. <laughs> when, when it comes to trust issues, uh, especially when it comes to product decisions, data is what can fix those trust issues. If you have data to back up your decisions, you can rebuild that trust. Uh, Paul and Calvin just did a great tag team phoning each other. Uh, I'm going to go next to Seth. Yeah, I think uh, have patience, build relationships, uh, and then really dig into those issues with the leaders that are most influential in making those changes. Oh my God, Seth, you come out with like a home run on the first lightning round. You're, you're in the lead in the clubhouse right now, Jason. Uh, I'm going to say, um, be the change that you want to see. Wait, didn't you say that earlier? That's how you do it. That's how you do comedy. You got to wrap it up all the way to the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely. <Right. laughs> you know, honestly, you have a team, probably maybe product owners, developers, writers, UX, those kind of things. You can create the culture and the model culture and the subculture, what you want to see in the greater culture to at least have a pleasure of, of, of people having a, a pleasant experience within your organization. And that regards trust and honesty and integrity and sympathy, empathy, all those things that we talked about, that can happen just within your team. As a product manager, they need to be a leader there. Uh, Jason's clubhouse lead might be tied right now. Uh, Dharma. I was going to say what Jason was saying. Thank you for stealing of that course. conversation. But <laughs> so let me add this. I think it's important for product managers to know what culture that they're operating in so that they can understand how to um, influence the culture to the best of their abilities and make the decisions in, in, you know, as suitable for the company. Uh, awesome. John Gattrell. Um, suit the politicians, right? No, we don't need feudal lords. Uh, so you have to figure out how to make kingdoms no longer an issue. And, okay. and often that's, it, it goes back to metrics and gold. It goes back to, um, you know, where are the, the swim lanes? But uh, if, if, if you have people playing games just for personal advancement, as, as a leader in an organization, you got to take those people out. Uh, they're toxic and they will cause problems laterally, uh, downline and upline in the organizations, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, then there's also those empty suits, right? That it's always next quarter. I, I yeah. call them the next quarter wonders, right? So you need a culture of accountability and one that doesn't reward politics. I, I love it. Anita Wood. I'm just going to say bye, everybody. I get a drop for another Zoom in two minutes. Thank, thank you, Paul. Have a great week. Thank you. Anita Wood. I would say start small uh, with, with any corporate culture issue. Uh, 
you know, find some quick wins, some quick improvements, or just within your own team and show some results. And that will help you get some of that influence you need, uh, like Dharma said. And um, yeah, start, start small. And there was something else I was going to say, but a lot of it was yes, and yes, and yes, and so. <laughs> and we've got a lot of yes, and to do with as many people yeah, on the call yeah. today. Steve Johnson. Uh, yes, and, you know, I, I agree with so much that's said here. I love the idea of, you know, don't worry about the organization, worry about the team. Yeah. Become, you know, become the example. Uh, and I worked with a team that was super productive and, you know, suddenly the VP is saying, hey, what are you doing? And can you share what you're doing with everybody else? And what I found at the core of it was communication, as somebody said, but also transparency. Um, so, um, so my yes and is yes, try and change your team, don't worry about the company, and then use leverage transparency, and as someone else said, data um, as a way of, of, of uh, being the, yeah, uh, data transparency, yeah. Awesome, Steve. Can we end it on the Margaret? Mead quote, I think it is, right? Only I'll, I'll phone a friend, John, and you can put it on. Another, the, can you change? What is that? It takes a village. <laughs> I don't remember the Margaret Mead quote. I can look it up, but it'll be too long for before I can respond to you. Well, all right. This has been a great Good call. Session. What a great session. You know, gosh, and I don't even have a chance to do. I am going to say that it's a tie, Seth and Jason. Seth gets bonus points for doing it on his first call ever. So Seth, we hope you come again. I'd like to thank everybody, Anita and Paul, uh, who've already uh, left. Seth, Calvin, Jason, Dharma, John, and of course my partner, Steve Johnson. Hey, we do this every week, right? Monday, the question goes in, a lot of people answer. Calvin hearts them. Jason knows what to think about for the week. Wednesday, we have the poll. And then what a conversation, exploring a whole bunch of different lenses. So thanks to everybody very much. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you next week in the community. Thanks for listening to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. For more great content and to participate in the Topic of the Week conversations, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation. You should be focusing on can be different. And I remember a, a, a whole lot of times when I've sat down with a leadership team and said, so pick, pick one. Do you want revenue, profit, or market share? And they're like, oh, we want all of those. And you're like, well, those are entirely different strategies. I mean, if you want market share, then we can sell it for a dollar and get a lot of market share. You know, if you want profits, then we can sell it for a million dollars and get a lot of profits, but it will only sell one. Uh, and it's just kind of like quick, easy, or fast. No, quick, easy, cheap. You know, which, which one or two of those do you want? Yeah. Well